we still cobble up uh, data that's very real to life, right? And it's, to me, it's about how can I get that to resonate with the customer? So it's not so much the, the realism uh, of the individuals, whether it's, you know, Fred Flintstone or, or John Doe uh, that we're demoing as far as a person, it's really about establishing that connection. Hey everyone, George Soto here, and you're tuning into Demo Diaries. Today I'm joined by Dustin Rojas, who's a Senior Director of Sales Engineering and Strategy at HealthEdge. How are you, Dustin? Thank you so much for joining us today. Doing great this morning, George. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Uh, why don't you uh, take a quick second and just tell folks a little bit about your career background and how'd you get into sales engineering? Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, it's almost like a couch session uh, when, when you talk about it that way, George. It's like it all began when I was a boy. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it really did, actually. When I, when I was a young man, I was always interested in computers, uh, you know, from the first green screen PCs. And uh, coming up through school, my, my sister uh, had worked in healthcare uh, at a local health plan, and she was able to work remotely uh, on a computer. And as a young kid, I was like, oh, my God, that's the coolest thing ever. I can't believe you can actually do that. And so uh, coming out of school, you know, I was able to get it into a local health plan uh, just as a temp to perm eligibility specialist, kind of starting out at the very bottom uh, of health plan operations and spent about 10 years uh, with, with that local health plan, kind of moving through all the different operational areas and, and kind of, you know, lucked into a position where we we're implementing uh, a new core system. And so I just threw myself at that, you know, and that kind of parlayed itself into getting a, a role with the vendor. Uh, worked in California for about four years, uh, implementing that client, and really was able to parlay that uh, into just more experience working my way up the, the vendor side uh, until I got a call one day from, from my old boss, actually, uh, who said, hey, how'd you like to come and do sales demos and RFPs? And, you know, the way he, he explained it to me, George, it almost felt like I was like a minor league ball player, and I was getting the call up to the majors. Uh, and, you know, it, from that point forward, uh, I've been in this role ever since. That was about seven years ago. Awesome. Well, how does pre-sales look like, particularly at a health care-oriented company? We have HIPAA and so much regulation. Oh, yeah. Like that must be challenging, particularly when you have maybe some great accounts that you want to demo, but you can't demo the data, right? Uh, what does it kind of look like? Yeah, so, you know, the, the cool thing about sales demo, George, is we live in the world of fake believe, right? And so even though I'm not able to show a real person, uh, you know, because of PHI and, and the HIPAA restrictions that you're referring to, we still cobble up uh, data that's very real to life, right? And it's, to me, it's about how can I get that to resonate with the customer? So it's not so much the, the realism uh, of the individuals, whether it's, you know, Fred Flintstone or, or John Doe uh, that we're demoing as far as a person, it's really about establishing that connection, understanding the business uh, solutions that are required and how we're going to address those for the customer. And, and that really seems to resonate with them. What does pre-sales typically look like for uh, a company like I guess, you know, your, your organization right now is about, according to LinkedIn, I should say, about 563, give or take, uh, employees now. And so 
what does that motion kind of look like? Because what I've heard after doing probably about 100 uh, interviews in the last uh, three months or so is that it really sort of depends on the composition of the organization, what your pre-sales motion looks yeah, like. We're a really small entity, honestly, George. So we don't have uh, like a formal RFP team that does any of the pre-scrub evaluation and qualifications of the deal. Uh, we look to our, our senior sales uh, resources. So we, we are divided uh, across the country regionally and, and based on the type of customer that they are. Uh, our sales uh, leads will go through those and then they'll, they'll hand them uh, to the engineer. Uh, you know, whether it's one of us or all of us kind of depends on, on that, uh, you know, on that VP and how they're leading the sales pursuit. Uh, once that comes in, we do the RFP analysis, give uh, our opinions uh, on what the ecosystem or the solution would look like, as well as any red flags, right, as you're going through that process. Uh, and then you start brainstorming on what would be the, the demonstration, uh, what would be kind of the orals approach. And, and when I start looking at those things, I really start looking at that prospect and that enterprise specifically. And it's really, to me, about going out to their website. It's about understanding who they are at that point. Uh, you know, so that we can put together wind themes. And, and wind themes are a really big thing when you start thinking about strategy and how you persist that forward from that initial RFP sort of uh, exercise into the next one, which is getting to those, you know, sales demo orals, uh, you know, we're going through all the use cases in detail. What's an example of a red flag within an RFP? You mentioned that those pop up sometimes. Oh, yeah. And I remember first job actually it was funny because I didn't I, this just hit me my first job uh, out of college was a software consultant at a medical uh, med tech startup a, you know a health tech startup in Atlanta Georgia and we were generally brought in after the fact but sometimes we would uh, actually engage in pre-sales mm -hmm. so looking through those RPs and helping the sales folks uh, fill those out and there were definitely some red flags uh, that that would pop up sometimes sure. and and plus, you know what we we probably shouldn't fill this out uh, because they are a like already probably like have selected a vendor and they're just getting a bunch mm -hmm. of stuff and you know, to to show their manager. So what would you say your experience has been? Yeah, you know that's that brings up an interesting point of the red flags as well. Uh, you know, looking for those sort of uh, column fodder. Uh, for lack of a better expression, sort of opportunities when you're brought in at the 11th hour, uh, given an impossible turnaround for thousands of requirements, right? And even if you were able to pull those off, at the end of the day, they might still say they want the, the other system uh, because they liked it better. And to your point, they knew that going into the whole exercise. That's definitely a big red flag uh, that, you know, it's really hard to avoid. It's like, once you get in the game, you got to finish it out. Uh, you know, to me, I was more referring to just the initial red flags. Uh, I actually had the opportunity uh, of the man who brought me into the organization or right, into this uh, part of the industry. He really gave me all the, you know, the rules of the road and showed me the ropes. And one of them is going line by line through that RFP. And you score that guy, red, yellow, green, right? Can we do this? Uh, maybe it looks a little daunting. Maybe we have to do some research. Or, man, we know that's a big gap in our system. We know we don't do that. We know everybody asks for it. But it's not our niche. And so those to me are the big red flags that I try to highlight and then bring those forward to our executive uh, team to say, how are we gonna navigate this? Are we gonna put this into product development and really run these enhancements into the system uh, or not, right? And, and so you have to make those strategic decisions way up front in the process before you waste a lot of cycles 
uh, in the pursuit. And are there any sort of, I don't know, signals even before the RFP uh, that that are so clear to you that you're like, we're not even going to look at it. Oh, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. Big time. You know, we're a commercial system and and being a commercial system, you kind of have to be like water. You have to be able to form to any sort of business opportunity that's coming in the door. And so we do government when it comes to like Medicare Advantage, Medicaid. Uh, commercial employer groups, individual exchange, and those things. But then you have some things that come in the door that we simply, as a commercial system, historically haven't done. And these are things like uh, when you talk about the VA side of things, like Veterans Affairs, uh, you talk about FEP, or the Federal Employee Program, right? Uh, when you talk about TRICARE business, uh, and any of these really big government institutional uh, sort of entities that in the history of health plans and health, the healthcare industry have always been a niche government industry in which government uh, has their own kind of, you know, vendors that they like to work with. There are all kinds of regulations in those regards that really unravel your commercial software to the point of you're committing to a whole separate code line. So anytime I hear buzzwords like TRICARE, FISMA, NIST, 508 compliance. Uh, I tell my, my executives, run for the hills, uh, run away. Because uh, like my boss likes to say, in those situations, you know, one of us is in the wrong conversation and it's probably us at that point. Awesome. That's awesome. Thank you so much for speaking to this uh, in, in, in a very vertical specific or industry specific manner. I very much appreciate yeah. it. If you were to describe kind of a, a typical day for a senior director of sales like yourself, what does that actually look like versus maybe someone who's maybe a little more junior or, or potentially entry level? Yeah, you know, what's interesting is there are no entry level uh, or junior folks here, but, uh, you know, I'll give you my day in general. It's, it starts very early. Uh, you know, most, we're based on the East Coast, uh, so I, I always like to get up early, see what's going on within the organization. Uh, see if we have any new opportunities. So RFPs, demos, uh, prospects, right? Getting that that kind of effort pushed down the road, kind of driven down the field uh, towards getting to down selection and vendor of choice for any kind of opportunities we're engaged in. Obviously, those are my priority one. Uh, outside of that, you know, we always look at improvement. So where are we at with our integrated demo environments? We have the opportunity to both uh, use our laptops and local installations as well as standing up uh, integrated environments for, as we add to our product suite, showcasing those different products and how we integrate together. Uh, presentation materials and just cyclical optimization uh, always comes up as well. And then for me, you know, I have a, a kind of diverse background, so I like to get down on all kinds of things. So when it comes to professional services, consulting, those are all emerging uh, within HealthEdge. You know, they made the decision as an organization long ago that they were going to be committed to the software side. Well, now you leave all kinds of revenue on the professional services side kind of on the table and who is the expert of those things, right? You should be that expert as the vendor. So helping stand up uh, a lot of kind of, you know, professional services that are still a little bit in their infancy, uh, especially when we start talking about digital transformation, uh, the usage of AI and, and robotic uh, RPA, right? Robotic program uh, automation there and, and how we're gonna bring that into the fold. So I love consulting internally uh, on all those opportunities from professional services 
uh, as well as working with product management, product development, uh, compliance, the whole myriad uh, of entities internally to see where are we going on, on things uh, on the roadmap uh, for any of those items. So that's my typical day. Awesome. You know, you brought up a couple of things around product, right? Informing mm -hmm. product uh, around features or capabilities or things that maybe you've seen repeatedly. What is the most effective way to sort of be the champion for your prospect and be able to, I don't want to say push product, but influence in a very deep, meaningful way so that, you know, a feature that you're very, very uh, compelled about and you've seen multiple times come up really gets prioritized, whereas maybe it wasn't earlier because frankly, the, you know, the product team wasn't as aware as you are because you're on the front lines, right? Right, right, absolutely. That comes up a lot. And, and to the point where we actually keep a running list uh, of product enhancements based on prospects and their interest in the product uh, and the things they call out. And there are those usual list of suspects that we go down the list of uh, kind of on an annual basis to say, are these coming into the roadmap, yes or no? Uh, so that we can improve our sales story uh, when those things come up, right? Uh, typically, though, when it, when it comes to a prospect and kind of championing something very specific, right, it comes down to the opportunity that we're looking at. And it also comes down to a, a few different considerations. One, are all of our customers going to benefit from this? Is this something that's going to be good for the community? Because if it's something that's very niche to that one customer, maybe it's something professional services can handle as a custom uh, sort of solution wrapped around the product, right? Uh, if it does make sense to bring into the product and it's, it's one of those, hey, we really want you as a customer, we don't want this to be a deal breaker, right? Then from a product management aspect, we look at the roadmap to say, when could we actually bring this enhancement in? What is that level of effort? Is it even realistic, right? And kind of what are the ripples in the pond uh, to the product when we do that? And, and so a lot of times, honestly, George, it comes down to, to major items uh, and major lines of business, uh, like, like uh, MMIS and managed Medicaid, uh, which is not the same as regular Medicaid, right? And so for those enhancements, are we gonna actually break into that market and enhance our product to do that? So it can be as something as serious as that, or something that's just really small that product management feels okay to introduce. And within the timeline of the implementation, it has to be put into a point where it can be tested successfully and promoted into production to meet their needs, right? Because if we're not solving their business solutions or their business problems with our solution, and we're not bringing value to the table to reduce costs, then we're kind of out of the game at that point. Yeah, totally. Are there any particular like tools that you really like to be able to manage this, uh, this particular workflow? Like I know there's a lot of product management tools now, you know, Jira, mm -hmm. Uh, wise line um, on the product side and then there are companies like Vivoon I don't know if you've seen Vivoon mm -hmm. uh, you should definitely check it out it's okay. pretty cool so V-I-V-U-N and it's like kind of like the platform for managing workflows and it integrates other other tools yeah for pre-sales professionals but anyways yeah like are, is there anything that you found just like really helps you organize that interfaces with other folks? No, not really. You know, it, it's all grassroots uh, bootstrap type activities 
uh, you know, it's, it's all little stuff like Excel, right? Tracking things in Excel and, and making sure you got uh, all your things pilotized and sorted out uh, so that you can go through them all. You know, from more of a, an organizational aspect, we use Salesforce quite a bit, uh, you know, as far as tracking all of our sales metrics and so forth. And really it's the RVPs uh, that feed up into that. Uh, at my level in the organization, I'm more of a consumer of that data than I am a contributor of that data. Uh, you know, sometimes I'm on the hook for some of those dates on the data there for like demos and so forth, but that's about it really for me. Uh, you know, outside of that, we do use Jira uh, and so forth, but, you know, with things like Slack uh, and being able to communicate internally, those to me are some of the more bigger tools that are having impacts in our organization, or at least to me culturally, where things before would have been communicated via email, yep. right? And, and so to me, it's more of the real-time communication uh, of something like a Slack that's really having more of an impact uh, on our day-to-day -day processes than the, the traditional tracking of metrics and so forth. Awesome. What does strategic planning look like uh, for a sales engineering team? Is it more like demo? Is it like you mentioned Salesforce or CRM optimization or all of the above? And what what tips would you give folks around really you know, moving the needle and, and, and focusing on, on, I don't want to say the right things, but I think on based on, maybe based on your experience, the, the, the right things or the optimal things. Yeah. So, you know, when it comes to sales, uh, we all know it's ebb and flow, right? You have your, your tides come in all at once. You get all your opportunities all at once. It's never spread out uh, in a way that you could consume it. So to me, it's all about being nimble and being prepared. So always having those standard presentations uh, developed so that you can just kind of cut and clip and, and tailor uh, to, the or to the organization as it comes in. Uh, you know, it's, it's about being able to respond there. But when we get the downtime, right, and we're not just, you know, in the throes of RFP analysis, going to the down selection, trying to get vendor of choice and that thing, it, it's all about cyclical optimization. And to me, cyclical optimization uh, is about enhancing your presentation materials, uh, enhancing your demo. Uh, and so if you need better data, uh, we work on our integrated environments. Those are actually very new in this organization. Uh, so I'm in charge of getting those stood up uh, and getting those integrated uh, with other products in our suite now, like Burgess Source, uh, Altruista for care management, right? And working with those teams to one, get the integration done, to get our scenarios kind of lined up so that, you know, it's not one person in care management and a different person uh, when you get into the core system, right? You wanna connect all those lines to create those stories. Uh, and then it's about being on your feet. When those opportunities come in, you gotta be able to drop everything you were doing, shift gears and get back into kind of a delivery mode uh, on the sales side. Yeah. Now, if you think about the challenges right like not to get too pessimistic here yeah. but I, you know we all run into challenges right or what any any sort of like core challenges that you see pre pre-sales folks uh run into on a daily basis, and then any yeah. advice around being able to sort of see it coming around the corner and then gracefully work through them absolutely i think you know the biggest challenge uh is all about setting expectations when you have a, a prospect or somebody who's interested in the demo, right? You want to know what are they expecting? What are they expecting to get out of that? 
And going back to kind of my boss who showed me the ropes, it's all about kind of understanding how that the AEIOUs and it's like, who's the audience, right? What are their expectations? What kind of business intelligence do we have about this? And finally, what are their objectives and what are our objectives internally? What are we trying to do here? And if you're going into a demo without having those answers, then you're basically setting yourself up for a challenge, right? I can't tell you how many demos that I've been asked to give a high level functional overview and I get 10 to 15 system engineers. And the first thing they ask me about is data replication or the algorithm for data at rest. And I'm like, hmm, that's not a functional demo. That's not a high level demo. And so that's a challenge, right? Being able to navigate something like that. Uh, additionally, having impossible turnaround times. Uh, somebody wants 200 scenarios, detailed demo. Can you do that tomorrow? No, I cannot do that tomorrow, right? Nobody could. And so, Managing expectations, I feel like, is one thing. And then the other thing is just having the time to properly prepare for the demonstration to give a good value uh, for everybody, right? And so to me, managing those things, managing expectations is about managing relationships, uh, being able to slow down and clearly communicate to your upstream executives. What do you need for this to be successful? And how they can help set you up for success. So a lot of times uh, I noticed internally, if they can, you know, if we can get somebody from the organization that wants the demo on the phone with us. And they can tell us what they're looking for. And maybe even we can dry run the material, get any feedback, watch for pitfalls, you know? What are the buzzwords in your organization to avoid? And what are the ones you wanna hear about? Right, getting that intel up front can definitely help manage expectations uh, to avoid those challenges. And then in terms of time, look, George, I wish I, I totally could tell you I had a magic stop clock to just stop time and give me everything I need, but you know, internally, or, or at least for myself, uh, personally, I should say, it, it's about having that support system. Uh, you know, I'm a family man, but it's having that family support that I know that if I have an RFP for this holiday, this birthday, this vacation, right, that I need to sit, sit out, uh, sit on the couch while everybody else is having fun, uh, doing the vacation thing, that I have that family support and they're gonna be understanding about that. And then when I'm done with my, you know, work uh, obligations, it's about taking that time to come back to the family and let them know how much I appreciated that sacrifice that we're all making for the organizational success. Awesome. Dustin, I have to ask, what is a great demo look and feel like? And how do you make sure that you're actually nailing it in the game, right? During the call or meeting? Yeah, absolutely. So to me, a great demo, uh, is about leaving the audience with a feeling of comfortability, that they're, they're positive about what you just showed them, and they don't have any doubts left in their mind about what the capabilities are and what you're trying to show them. Uh, you know, preparing for that is, is always key. Like I said, I'd love to go out on the website uh, of the prospect or of the, the client, uh, really try to understand how do they get down? What are they getting into? So that I can build an entire show around that showing them almost like a almost like a car salesman putting them in the car so they can see themselves right putting them in the house so that they can see themselves and, and when you start getting those positive feedbacks within the demonstration those uh you know i, I had read something about mark twain once where he had wrote that he could live a week or, or so forth on one compliment i love during demos when people start giving compliments whether it's on the software if it's on my presentation great but I'd rather it be about the software and the product that I'm showing 
and that they're getting the value that they want out of that, right? And so when you start hearing those little comments, boom, those, those get me really excited during the demo and you know that it's going well. Uh, conversely, you know, silence is sometimes a good thing, but sometimes bad. Uh, questions can be good unless it's questions around gaps and functions that you know you don't do. And so now uh, you have to prepare the proper messaging, right, for that. And then really bad demos to me are the, are the ones um, where you didn't meet the expectation, right? Those are the ones where you had challenges and those could be for a variety of reasons. Those could be from lack of communication up front. Those could be because uh, some sort of network issue occurred and you couldn't even show the product, which I've seen happen, unfortunately, right? And those to me are the bad demos. And then also there is a level of showmanship in what we do, right? You have to be uh, kind of an edutainer. You have to educate people while entertaining them. So while you may be the most smartest person in the room and you know, you know your material inside and out, if, if you're dry and, and folks are kind of losing interest or even worse, get confused about what you're showing them. Yeah, those to me are all the earmarks of what you don't want to happen. Awesome, Dustin, thank you so, so much for taking the time to be on the show today. If folks wanna follow you on social media or maybe learn more about new opportunities within the pre-sales team at Health Edge, Edge, I should say, uh, what is the the best channel or uh, URLs to reach? Yeah, look me up on LinkedIn. Uh, you can see I, I blogged about the industry and about the products and so forth and about uh, pain points uh, that prospects and clients have had in the past. And, and go ahead and look over my profile. And if you have any questions uh, or want to reach out, feel free to do so. All right. Awesome. Well, have a great, great uh, holiday weekend. Yeah. And uh, ha- yeah, thank you again uh, for, for being on the show. My pleasure, George. Thank you so much for having me. You have a great weekend as well.